Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Hear now the inerrant and infallible word of Almighty God. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye would be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off which trouble you. For brethren, we, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit... Ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, <coughs> hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell, I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Thus far the reading of God's holy word from the book of Galatians chapter 5. Here we see that our freedom in Christ is no license to sin. Justification by faith alone does not lead to lawlessness. In fact, he makes the argument, legalism leads to lawlessness. Christian growth and holiness 
come forth from justification by faith. Verses 1 through 6, we have a call to freedom with the reasons for it and a warning from returning to bondage. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, he says. Literally, he says, in the liberty wherewith Christ us freed once for all, emphatically, keep on standing fast. The Galatians have stood fast in the past, and they're being moved to depart from that steadfast stance. That's what he's saying. You need to keep on standing fast because you're being swayed to leave it. Here Christ is seen as the great liberator. This singular act. He hath made us free. When was that? When he died upon the cross. When he took our sins upon himself, he freed us from the bondage of the law. That is, that we are not justified by keeping any commandments. Verse 1. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And and again, it means stop being entangled. They're currently trying to entangle you with this yoke. Stop it. Don't let them do it. You're trapped between two faiths. As Elijah said, you halt between two opinions. How long will you do this? Paul's saying, stop halting. You started with the gospel, you end with law. You start with the covenant of grace, you end with the covenant of works. Stop it, he says. Now, verse 2, he says, If ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Wait a second. Paul, you were circumcised. You had Timothy circumcised. Does that mean that Timothy is going to hell? That there's no hope for him? Of course not. If ye be circumcised with the opinion that you will be saved by receiving that right. As if God were pleased with it and you had to do it to placate his favor, to make him love you, to cause him to feel that you are no longer under his wrath, but you are now under his approval. Unless you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. That's what they said. It is necessary to salvation to receive this right. So he says, if you have that opinion, Christ shall profit you nothing. Man's righteousness before God ought to be either all by works or all by Christ. And these two means cannot be mixed, so says Diodati. You can't mix grace and works. You can't mix justification by faith and justification by circumcision. In fact, you can't mix justification by the work of Christ with anyone else's work, including the church's works, or your works, or the saints' works. If you try that, what happens to Christ? He shall profit you nothing, he says. Verse 3, I say to every man... Now, verse 2 was ye in the second person plural. Do you see that there? I say that if ye be circumcised, now in verse 3, to every single man, all of you as a group and each of you individually, in other words, have a responsibility. There is corporate responsibility, ye, all you Galatians, in all these regional churches, and every single person among you individually. 
that if you say, I must be circumcised after the manner of Moses or do some good thing that I may inherit eternal life, you are a debtor to do the whole law. That's your obligation. If you would like a covenant of works, then you must go all in, he says. Every last point of law you are required to do. Now, circumcision happens to be the topic under consideration. What were the other laws? Were they all unique to the Jews? We just looked at that in Deuteronomy 14. No. There were moral laws, weren't there? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you say, I must be circumcised to be saved or do some work, guess what? Everything the law requires is now on the table. And you are required to do all the works, moral, ceremonial, judicial. If justification is contingent upon any work of man, then it is contingent upon doing all that God requires of you. Whatever it is that God requires, you must do it all or you are cursed. Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things that are written in the law to do them. So if we make a Christian work, a good work commanded by Jesus, the condition upon which God will justify us, guess what? You have to do everything Jesus said in order to be justified. Oh, it's a new covenant work. I'm doing it by grace. Oh, yes. But if it's your work and not the work of Christ, guess what? Same deal goes for you. You must do all things that are written in the book of the law to which Jesus pointed you and said, go back to Moses and find out your duty. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Let us then rest content in the work of Christ done for us and not pursue our own self-righteousness. Verse 4, he warns them again, Christ is become of none effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. Now, are they actually justified by the law? No. This is what we call an argumentum ad hominem. I'm going to take your opinion... And I'm going to show you that you think you're justified by the law, and that is not possible. That's what he's doing there. Christ has become of none effect to you. Or literally, you are made useless from Christ. You are abolished from Christ, the Geneva Bible says. As soon as you hold this belief that you are somehow doing something to receive justification... Christ and you have nothing in common at that point. It's over. You are abolished from Christ. Christ, you are useless from Christ. He has no virtue for you because it's all or nothing. All Christ or no Christ. Your pick. Not part of Christ, most of Christ, 99.99999% Christ, and that little bit that I sneak, sneak in there with my good works. My baptism, my circumcision, my going to the altar, my signing the card, my being baptized, my memorizing the shorter catechism, doesn't matter what it is. If you believe that some good work you do causes God to justify you, you're lost. There is no use in Christ for you. 
Now notice, doctrinal beliefs have very serious consequences, don't they? The very moment you accept that you are justified by works, he says, Christ immediately profits you nothing. Satan is subtle, isn't he? Just add a little bit of your works, just a little bit. And it doesn't matter whether the legal system that you're under is mosaic or natural or Judaizing or Christian or Buddhist or woke or Roman or Eastern or Presbyterian or Baptist or Methodist. It doesn't matter. Whatever law system you say, well, this makes God accept me. This thing that I have done, it has eternal consequences. So Satan is always trying to mix in this little bit of poison with that gallon of milk. Isn't that milk delicious? Doesn't it, just looking at it, look so great, but he put just a little grain of poison in there, just your little bit that you contribute, and Christ is become none effect to you. Ye are fallen from grace, he says. Here is the system of grace. Here are the works of Jesus Christ. And if you embrace that system, you are in grace. You believe the doctrine of grace, which Christ himself accomplished, which the apostles taught us. But the moment you say, I'm justified by works, again, not possible, but you say it by your actions, by your beliefs, by embracing this falsehood, you fall away from the system of grace. Because, as David Dixon points out, the covenant of works and the covenant of grace in Christ do mutually exclude one another. Push in the covenant of grace, the covenant of works goes out. Push in a covenant of works, the covenant of grace goes out. Now, let me tell you, these false apostles, these Judaizers, would not say about their own doctrine what Paul is saying about them. They would not say, well, we're actually justified by works. Yeah, we do good things. No, they wouldn't say that. We believe in Jesus, of course. We believe you're justified by faith. Yeah, we agree, Paul. But unless they do this thing, they can't be saved. You see that? And so Paul says, well, if you admit one little point of works, one little thing done by man, one little rite or ceremony that we participate in that secures our salvation, what have you done? You pushed out works, or excuse me, you pushed out the covenant of grace to insert what you have done. They cannot exist together. The one excludes the other. It's either all Christ or no Christ. It's either all grace or no grace. Now notice, does this doctrine lead to wickedness? Does this doctrine that we are justified by faith without any works on our part, all of grace, all in Christ, does that mean you can do whatever you want? That's what the Judaizers said. People will become slack. They will say, let us continue in sin because grace superabounds over our sins, Paul. That's what you said at the end of chapter 5 of Romans. So we know that you teach against the law. You teach looseness. You teach wickedness. No, that is the inverse of reality, he says. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith, what? Which worketh 
by love. Faith is the alone instrument by which we are justified. God doesn't ask us to do works to receive justification. Otherwise, faith is no more faith. Grace is no more grace. Christ is no more Christ. But when that faith has completed that work of believing and trusting entirely in the righteousness of Christ, does it sit around and do nothing? Is it an idle grace that stands there all by itself? Well, I'm done. Don't need anybody else here. No. It worketh, he says, by love. The grace of faith works. Our confession, chapter 11, paragraph 2 says, Faith receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness is the alone instrument of justification, yet is it not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied with all other saving graces and is no dead faith, but worketh by love. This is exactly where they got it from. Faith is not alone in the person justified. Let us then not have an idle faith, in vain disputations about circumcision or other Jewish rites, in seeking righteousness by some law that we fulfill. Rather, let us occupy ourselves in holiness and obedience to God by love. This is what justification by faith produces, by faith alone. It produces a working faith, not an idle faith. Then verses 7 through 12, they had a good beginning, but they were in danger. Verse 7, He asks them, who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Now this word obey, we might think is them doing something. It actually is a passive verb and it can refer to being persuaded. So let me give it to you a different way. Uh, Who did run into your lane? They're running in a race. That's the picture he uses. Who came into your lane and pushed you out so that you're no longer being persuaded by the truth? There's the idea. They were being persuaded by the apostle and by the truth of the gospel. And now these other people ran into their lane and pushed them aside so that they cannot continue in that good race. That's one analogy. The other analogy is that of leaven, verse 9. A little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. This little bit of falsehood that they snuck in there, it's going to affect all of you. It's going to spread quickly. As we'll see when we look at the city of Sodom, you allow a little bit of leaven in there, the whole body gets affected. So he says, cut it off. And he wishes, verse 12, that they were even cut off, which trouble you. This is a ironic and a harsh figure of speech. Verses 13 through 15, practical godliness is the outworking of the gospel. Biting and devouring one another is the outworking of justification by law works. Notice verse 13. Use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh. The flesh is man's fallenness, his sinful human nature that remains in the believer. I am justified not by deeds, therefore I can excuse my sin. He's saying, no, don't do that. Don't make it some kind of licensed for you to do evil, but rather, he says, by love, serve one another. Now, the word serve is very interesting. It means to be a slave. Slave for one another. This is how we should think of other believers. I am that person's slave. How can I serve my master? Now, it doesn't mean they slave over our conscience. 
That's not what he's saying. He's referring to practical actions. How do you act toward other believers? How is it that you respond to them? Is your thought, well, I'm going to wait around, see if they're going to do things for me, see if I can get them to work on my behalf. Is that what slaves do? Is that what they're supposed to do? No, Paul says, slave toward one another. Be enslaved to the needs of your brethren. Do good to them by means of love, as we'll see with Jacob. Do you know he worked for seven years like a slave because he loved this woman, Rachel? He loved her. And so he slaved for all that time. God says, if you love your neighbor, if you love the other believers, if you've been transformed by the gospel, if the gospel doesn't lead to licentiousness, what does it lead to? Serving one another by love. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. This is the universal statement we find often in the Bible, qualified by the context. He's not saying the first table of law is fulfilled by loving your neighbor, but everything that the law has to say about how to treat our fellow man, it's summed up in one word. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. All moral duties we owe to one another can be summed up in that statement. But what about these Judaizers? What about this doctrine that professes to be in favor of righteousness? He says it's biting and devouring one another. Verse 15. And if you do that, you will consume each other. This is the end of self-righteousness. When we have an opinion that we have done some good thing, that we may inherit eternal life, well then, what about that other person who's not as good as me? We might see them as an object to destroy. Verses 16 through 26, life in the spirit versus life in the flesh. Justification by faith alone leads to sanctification, fruit, and obedience to God's commandments. In other words, those that God justifies, he will sanctify. He will renew them in his image more and more as time goes on. Walk in the spirit, he says, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Here's the practical application. I've taught you the doctrine. Now here's your duty. Walk in the spirit. And all these fleshly desires he's going to describe, you will not fulfill those. But there's a problem, isn't there? Do Christians perfectly live according to this truth that we know in the gospel? No. The flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you will to do. That's what the word would means. Fellow means I will or I wish or I desire. You desire to do certain things. To do or to will is present with me, Paul says in Romans 7, but to do, I don't find it. I find another law at work in my members. This is the law of the flesh, contrary to the spirit. There is a conflict. This is to be understood and acknowledged to be the condition of the believer. But note... This does not make us in bondage to law. We are not under law if we are led by the Spirit. If we're growing in grace and in knowledge, we're not under a covenant of works just because we're striving to obey God. No. And then he gives us something very important. The works of the flesh. How does man's fallen nature manifest itself? He says these things. Adultery fornication, uncleanness, and lasciviousness. 
Now, you might say, if you study the ancient Romans and their views of human conduct, that some of these things Paul says they would agree with. Yeah, you shouldn't commit adultery, especially not women. They shouldn't commit adultery. Well, men, you know, that's all right every once in a while, isn't it? Fornication, no big deal. People live together all the time. That's how the Romans felt about these things. You can just kind of play around and figure out when you'll grow up. Paul says, no. These are the works of the flesh. This is man's fallen nature at work. It's not excusable because your culture accepts it, in other words. It doesn't matter whether you're high or low, male or female. These sins are forbidden as works of the flesh. Then he mentions idolatry and witchcraft. Do you think that the heathens thought those things were bad? (laughs) You bet not. They thought they were virtues. They thought they were piety and holiness to worship idols. No, those are works of the flesh. Hatred. This is where a person opposes others and has hatred in their heart against them. Variance. This is where people wrangle or are contentious or breed strife. Emulations. Wrath, strife, seditions, and heresies. The common thread is this. The person is ruled by themselves, by their own feelings, by their own passions that they suffer, by their own thoughts rather than God's revealed truth in his word. Then he says, verse 21, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now what is an inheritance? It's a testamental gift, isn't it? It's where you receive freely through the will of another a set of goods. Now, if you're going to inherit, you must reflect the Father's image. He doesn't give the inheritance to just anyone, does he? He doesn't say, my inheritance is for all those children who are not part of my family and the ones who are part of my family. No. You will not inherit the kingdom, he says, unless you reflect the Father's image. If you live in the idolatry, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife cycle, if you're an adulterer or a fornicator, a lascivious person or unclean, do you think you reflect the Father's image? Do you think you'll receive his inheritance? No, he says. I warned you about this before. I'm telling you right now. Every time the Apostle Paul preached, do not think that you can continue in sin so that grace may abound. No. You will not inherit unless you bear the family image. We saw this this past Thursday, Westminster Confession, chapter 3, paragraph 8. Men attending the will of God revealed in his word and yielding obedience thereunto may from the certainty of their effectual vocation be assured of their eternal election. How do you know that you'll inherit the kingdom, in other words? Well... Have you been effectually called? Are you putting off the old man, putting on the new? Or are you given over to these lascivious ways, ruled by your feelings, ruled by your own thoughts, rather than ruled by God? Well, you can mark it down, he says. If you're ruled by yourself, your own feelings, your own thoughts, if you're ruled by your passions, you don't inherit. Let us then attend to the will of God. Let us yield obedience to his word. Let us make our calling and election sure. Let us put off strife, wrath, self-promotion, hatred, passion, seditions, and heresies. 
And let us put on the fruit of the Spirit, which he mentions in verse 22. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Now, we could go on for hours and hours with these graces, but just a few thoughts. Faith works by love, doesn't it? By love, we are to serve one another. This is the logical conclusion of the gospel of God's free grace. Therefore, we are to love one another. We are to rejoice in God's promise and word. We're to have peace in our conscience and among one another. We're to suffer long with the wrongs that are done to us knowing how freely God has pardoned us. We are to be gentle without that bitterness and self-righteousness that is bred by a belief in our own goodness and therefore how bad everybody else is. Goodness reflects the character of God who is goodness itself. Faith, which trusts in the promise of God, valuing his word above our own thoughts. Temperance is where we govern ourselves rather than being governed by our passions. And he says in verse 23, to sum up against such things, there is no law. There's no law of God on the books, on the record, outstanding that will condemn this kind of behavior. There is no law against these things. Then he says that they who have, that our Christs have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Oh, but you see, I have this affection for those of my same sex. And that's not a sin, is it? Yes, it is. In fact, if you belong to Christ, all those old affections, whatever they be, are crucified, put to death in the cross of Christ. All those affections, all those lusts. This is good news. The other thing is pharisaical self-righteousness. Well, I can look at a woman, after all, I have the natural affection of fornicator in my heart and adulterer in my heart. I can have the affections inside and just not do it with my body. No, you can't. Because if you look at a woman to lust after her, if you do not crucify the affections and the lusts, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You do not belong to Jesus Christ. You are a Pharisee. So we cannot justify any of our wicked or lawless affections, any of our desires. We cannot say, but, but yeah, but come on, God made them beautiful. Can't I look at those women? Can't I lust after? No, you cannot. God rules the passions and the affections. You are not to be ruled by your passions. God says you are to rule them with temperance and self-government. Let us not justify our lusts, our strong desires, our affections, or our emotions. That's just the way that I am. I was born this way. Rather, put them off crucify them with the flesh, with the old man, and do not justify them. Oh, well, I'm justified by faith. Therefore, I don't have to crucify the old. Oh, really? That's not what Paul says. That says you won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. Is that where you want to be? No. If we live in the Spirit, he says, let us also walk in the Spirit. It's not enough to claim that you live in the Spirit. Your actual walk on a day-to-day basis, that's where the rubber meets the road. 
The Geneva Bible notes, If we are indeed endued with the quickening spirit who causes us to die to sin and live to God, let us show it in our deeds, that is, by holiness of life. Thus far, the explanation of Galatians chapter 5, a passage rich in instruction.